Welcome to Exit 222, the podcast that puts you in the hearts, in the mind, and on the front line of stories that matter. I'm your host, Ari McLean. In late May of 1955, the roads and highways leading into Blackwell, Oklahoma are full of automobiles heading into town. And as you get closer to Blackwell, it becomes even more congested. You get closer and you get closer. And as you edge your way into town, you notice that even in the community, the main streets are backed up. Now these individuals who are streaming into town that are clogging the roads, that are backing up streets and highways leading into Blackwell for miles, they're not there to see a play, they're not there for a concert, they're not there for the spring festival or anything like that. They're heading into town for a much darker reason. In today's sense, or in today's words, we might refer to these individuals as disaster tourists. Individuals who want to see with their own eyes the calamity that has affected a community near them, something they can't believe in unless they see it firsthand. And what these individuals have come to see firsthand is the path of destruction left in the wake of a monster that smashed into the northeastern section of Blackwell in the preceding days. And I often think about in the movies how a disaster movie when something like Godzilla or some other monster has leveled a town or left it in ruins and there's flames on the horizon and all this those movies often have there's a footprint of the monster right or, or some other trail that you can make out to be their path and in this case and you would have a hard time finding or seeing that footprint unless you went up and took a look from above the earth because it's only then when you see the enormity of the destruction, when you see the scope of the damage, that you really understand the power and ferocity of this storm. And from that view above, you can see the footprint that stretches for miles. Now, scientists and weather forecasters and others refer to this as an F5 tornado. Now, at that time, there was no advanced Doppler radar. There were no satellites that could pick up the rotation of a tornadic supercell raking across Oklahoma. There were no sirens that could give warning to residents to seek shelter in the event of a weather emergency. Now, beyond the lack of technology or preparedness or resources available to detect this kind of incoming storm, there was one other wrinkle that made this even worse, and that was that this storm struck at night. So when the storm hits in Blackwell, the sun has disappeared, it's dark outside, and as the people of Blackwell are doing the last bit of the day's work, as they're putting their children to sleep, just over the horizon, touching down south of town, is this F5 monster that slams into the northeastern portions of town leveling blocks of the community, destroying hundreds of homes, and ultimately leaving 20 dead 
on the night that it hits, and hundreds of others injured. Many of the clocks around Blackwell remain stuck at between 9.27 p.m. and 9.30 p.m., marking the time of impact as electricity went off around the city. Now listen to one account of a resident of Blackwell who survived the storm, who witnessed the devastation, and particularly how the storm began as it rolled into Blackwell from the south. And while we was at the drive-in, the wind came up, started hailing, and, and the drive-in blew away. I said, we better go or something like that. And, and about that time, you could hear it go by. I mean, it was the wind came first. After leaving the drive-in theater, Barbara talks about how they went north on Main Street into town and what they witnessed along the way. Come down Main Street from the south to the north, and all the windows was coming out of the stores, and the hoods of the cars were pulling up. For residents of Oklahoma, tornadoes are nothing new, and it's something that you almost grow accustomed to living in the state. You get used to violent weather. You get used to the idea that that there may be hell or a tornado or a severe lightning storm rolling into town, particularly during the spring. Now, Oklahoma straddles this northern to southern portion of the United States that's known as Tornado Alley. And what it is, it's a tornado factory more than an alley, right? Because it's the place where the ingredients come together to produce these severe storms that develop rotation that eventually leads to a tornado forming. And what drives that is from the north you get cold, dry air. From the south comes this warm, moist air from the Gulf of Mexico. And it's typically through the northern reaches of Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, etc., Iowa, where these cold fronts and these warm fronts intersect. And it creates the conditions that lead to the formation of these incredibly violent storms that tend more often to produce tornadoes. Now, within Oklahoma itself, Kay County, the county in Oklahoma where Blackwell sits, had the fourth highest number of tornadoes from 1950 to 2015 in the entire state of Oklahoma. So in a state known for its wild weather, Kay County has the fourth most tornadoes among all Oklahoma counties over the last 65 years. Now, when it comes to the kind of tornado that hit Blackwell May 25th of 1955, an F5, the strongest tornado in terms of the scale that we use today, an EF5, an enhanced Fujita scale. Now, to get a feel for the destructive power of an F5 tornado, listen to the description from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration official description of an F5 tornado and the damage that it can inflict. Quote, Incredible damage. Strong frame houses leveled off foundations and swept away. Automobile-sized missiles fly through the air in excess of 100 meters or over 100 yards. Trees are debarked. Incredible phenomenon will occur. End quote. When you're talking about winds that are strong enough to debark or strip the bark off of trees, just through the sheer force of the winds alone, I think it gives you some sense of the magnitude of the force with which this storm hit the community of Blackwell. To delve more deeply into this, I asked some of the contributors to our show what their frame of mind is or sort of reference when it comes to a term like F5. What comes to mind when they hear that term? 
Hugo, of course, is a returning contributor, someone who's well-traveled, seen many different parts of the world, and a new contributor, Renee, who grew up in Oklahoma, is familiar with the wild weather and has seen some of these storms, maybe not F5s, but has seen enough severe weather firsthand, up close and personal, to get a sense for the destructive power that is Mother Nature. The first thing that comes to my mind is, is there a basement nearby? And if there's not a basement, is there like a gigantic cellar somewhere? I don't even think you're safe in a cellar or in a basement with an F5. You're just kind of screwed. The first word that comes to mind is fear, because people have a tendency in any natural disaster to become scared or fearful. So that's the first word. The second word is sadness, because it's a lot of a lot of things that happen during a natural disaster. Uh, people lose their homes, people lose their family members, and so there's a lot of sadness around that. Now, even though we said earlier that living in Oklahoma, you get used to or you get accustomed to some of the violent and severe weather, I want to take a moment to acknowledge how rare an event this is. An F5 tornado is not something that occurs frequently in a confined area such as a state, the borders of a state. In fact, it's an infrequent occurrence. There have only been seven EF5 or F5 tornadoes that have hit Oklahoma since 1950. In fact, Oklahoma and Alabama are tied at the very top of the list for states affected by F5 tornadoes since 1950. So you can see and get a sense for the rarity of this event. Yes, there are a number of tornadoes every year. Yes, there are a number of violent tornadoes. But in terms of the ferocity of the power, the destructive capability of these storms, F5 tornadoes, verified F5 tornadoes to hit, not only to hit a state, but to barrel into a community at night would be an incredibly rare event. Now when this storm hits, again, remember it's at night. The sun has gone down. There's no advanced warning system. For all that you know, there might be a storm on the horizon. Maybe you see some lightning off in the distance, or maybe you've got a phone call from uh, a friend or family member that lets you know there's a bad storm on the way. But you have no idea that there's an F5 until it's too late. And before you know it, the tornado's upon you. The din becomes overwhelming as many victims, survivors of tornadoes have recounted. It sounds like a freight train or multiple freight trains. And you have maybe seconds and minutes, if you're lucky, to seek shelter. Listen to one account from the Davis family memoir that describes the moment of impact. Quote, It sounded like 100 freight trains. Joanne rushed to the window to raise it, as it had been recommended one should do. As she raised it, the suction from the tornado was so intense she felt she was going to be pulled out through the window. Meanwhile, the house was shaking, glass was flying, wood was breaking, and the Venetian blinds had been sucked outside and were banging against the house in the wind. End quote. Now, in the immediate aftermath of the tornado, the, the roaring of the freight train, all of the sounds associated with the splintering of homes, the breaking of trees, branches, the crushing of metal as cars are wrapped and contorted around different buildings or structures or trees themselves, there's that moment of silence where the shock, the residents shell-shocked by what just happened begin to emerge from their impromptu shelters. Whether they're climbing out from the bathtub and they have blankets draped over them or underneath from a mattress underneath a bed. And there's this moment of silence where 
I have to imagine. It begins to emerge. If you're lucky enough to have survived this without serious injury, maybe your house was very badly damaged, maybe the, rip, the roof was ripped off, perhaps all the windows were blown out of your home, but as you begin to emerge, if you're lucky enough to, to be conscious, to be alive, unhurt, that silence immediately begins to be filled with cries from victims, people buried under debris, husbands looking for their wives, parents looking for their children, the sounds of sirens wailing in the dark, and oh, by the way, there's no electricity. The power's been knocked out. Returning to Barbara's account of that night, she recalls what her and her husband encountered in the immediate aftermath of the tornado. And we went around the block behind the co-op, and there the glass plant was on fire. This guy was walking in the street, bleeding, so we put him in the car and took down West Blackwell. And the cops was standing out there looking at the guy like that, you know. And we told them the glass plant was on fire, so... And so if you're a first responder, you know something bad has happened, there are calls coming in on the radio, and you're arriving at a scene, there's rain pouring down on you, and you realize, and it hits you, as you start to glimpse the scale of this damage, that you are a first responder at the scene of a mass casualty event, cloaked in darkness, wrapped in rain, with lightning still happening all around you. You don't know if the storm is gone for good. You don't have a handheld radar to tell you what's happening. And all you can do is start working to save victims, answering those calls for help. As the Davis family memoirs recount, citizens and first responders jumped in to help in any way they could. And as the Davises arrived at the hospital, which fortunately was on the western side of town, they recall the scene. Quote, I remember going down the hall of the hospital on a gurney, and seeing the hall lined with people sitting on the floor covered in blood with cuts and scrapes. Injured people came flooding in covered in mud and some with blood. One man was carried in on a door. Others came in to assist in any way they could. End quote. Given the scale of the damage and the injuries and the number of victims, there are a number of organizations that came to help the people of Blackwell, including the Red Cross. And in one of those historical ironies or twists of fate, that is hard to believe, but true. If you had opened the Blackwell Journal Tribune on 24 May 1955, the day preceding the tornado, there's a good chance that you would have come across an ad as you perused the paper. Maybe you read the, the headline news, the articles on the front page, scanning your way through the paper, but there was an ad, a very large ad, that was placed and ran on the 24th of May. And it was put there by the Red Cross, and there's a photo of a, a nurse at the time with the famous Red Cross logo on the hat that she's wearing. She's holding a telephone, and, and in big, bold font, the ad says, Your help now could save a life. It could be yours. And the point of it was to encourage, to motivate, to persuade Blackwell residents to donate blood, because scheduled for May 25th, the day the tornado struck, was supposed to be a blood drive hosted by the Red Cross in Blackwell. They would have their blood mobile on site soliciting donations from residents. And I can't help but imagine that a number of people who opened up their newspaper or read that ad may have been one of the last ones that they ever saw. As the darkness receded and the sun crept over the town, residents of Blackwell had to confront face-to-face -face the extraordinary toll that the storm had wrought we rejoin Barbara's account as she talks about and describes climbing one of the town's 
co-ops, a grain elevator known as Cathedrals of the Plains that rise above most of the town's buildings and the view that she saw from that perch. Took us up and we looked out over black what looked like a bomb and hit us. It was bad. They was people, they found people hanging in the trees where it killed them. It was awful. Yeah. The whole east end of town from the river up got totaled. Everybody was had somebody hurt or knew somebody that was hurt. Now aside from the physical scars and the cleanup and the months of work to rebuild not only homes but lives and families and Blackwell's residents also faced the mental scars. That night and in ensuing nights it wouldn't be uncommon to see residents staring out windows, peering into the darkness certain that another tornado was on its way. Survivors and residents recount that in, in the days and weeks after the tornado, thunder and lightning off in the distance would send some residents looking for shelter immediately, traumatized by the events, unsure of what to expect next. In the ensuing months, cleanup efforts progressed, homes were rebuilt, but unfortunately the efforts also revealed that Blackwell's economic fortunes had potentially been shifted forever by the tornado. Now remember, there's this land run that happens in 1893, it's a boom town, people are hurrying to attract business and to build the town, and, and they're competing with all these other communities that are appearing overnight. And as Blackwell moves out of the early 1900s, there's the, the oil rush, the energy boom, and there's a lot of money floating around, and things are looking great. The future could not be brighter. And then suddenly, out of the dark, this storm slams into town. Not only alters the physical features of the town, but it also changes the path that it's on. So, in addition to the residences and the homes that were destroyed and the families that were ripped apart, there are a number of businesses around Blackwell which were also destroyed. Two of the ones that come up most prominently are a glass factory as well as a foundry. And it may not sound like much, but in total you're, you're talking about a few hundred jobs which is a significant factor in a town like this. And so one of those companies, the Foundry, they decide to rebuild immediately, and it speaks to the resilience of the people of Blackwell, the community. Immediately they go back to work trying to reopen the Foundry as quickly as possible, and eventually they do reopen. On the other hand, you have the Glass Factory, which was headquartered out of state, produced fine glassware, employed hundreds of people. Good paying jobs, producing something that the town could be proud about. But the owners of this particular business decide to relocate. And so it sort of marks the beginning of the economic headwinds that buffet the town of Blackwall for the ensuing decades. And eventually, down the road, you have the town's largest employer, the Blackwell Zinc Smelter, which employs about 1,000 people, which it closes down to in the early 1970s. But that's a whole other story. Concerns about pollution and changing economic factors. And, but you can see the pattern beginning. Instead of businesses opening, instead of the Main Street stores being full of new merchandise and the latest trends in fashion and all of that, you have businesses that begin to leave town. Concurrently or simultaneously, you also have the beginning of the construction of Interstate 35, which is moving traffic. Instead of going through the middle of town on the state highway, Highway 177, which runs north and south, through Blackwell becomes its Main Street, you have the beginnings of I-35 which sits a few miles to the west of Blackwell. Close enough that you can basically see the highway, but far enough away that those cars are no longer coming through town. And it starts to impact 
the town economically. Some of the businesses try to move out toward the interstate. But anyway, you can see this pattern emerging. And essentially, the tornado of May 25th, 1955 is a milestone or an inflection point where Blackwell hits this economic headwinds that it's been battling since the 1950s. On the residential side, you can even go down to some parts of the eastern side of Blackwell, and there are concrete steps that used to lead to homes, used to lead to a family's residence, but of course there's no longer a house there, and they are sort of the last remnants of the 1955 tornado, steps that lead to nowhere. But it also leaves an impression, standing there looking at these steps, of what might have been. Had this storm not hit Blackwell, had it not been so bad, had these families not been affected so much, how much different might things be for this small town? Would things be different? While the tornado and the recovery efforts and the resilience that the town faced after this devastating disaster speak to their resilience, that it speaks to their ability to endure the grit that the community has, one can't help but wonder what might have been. Join us next time as we continue to explore the story of Blackwell.